This is episode number 337 with Dr. Will B. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? This episode is brought to you by the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, also known as IIN. I studied at IIN in 2011 and it honestly changed my life. No joke. Not only did it give me the tools that I was desiring to reclaim my health after experiencing severe burnout and ending up in hospital, which you can read all about in my first book, Mastering Your Mean Girl, but it set me on my career path that I'm on now. It also lit a fire in my belly for helping others and being of service. I went from an aspiring blogger to health coach, to speaker, best-selling author, and podcaster with a thriving seven-figure global business. And guess what? It all started with IIM. It paved the way for me, which is why I'm such an advocate for their program and why I'm one of their top ambassadors. And because I'm one of their top ambassadors, I get to offer you a special discount of up to $2,150 off your tuition. How cool is that? So whether you want to do this course for yourself so that you can arm yourself with all the knowledge that you need for you and your family to really thrive, or whether you're a yoga teacher, a personal trainer, a health writer, and you want to add another tool to your toolkit, or whether you want an entirely new career as a certified holistic health coach, IIN is for you. To claim your $2,150 off your tuition, all you have to do is head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash IIN right now. I love, love, love when I find a podcast that lights me up on all levels. There are so many great podcasts out there now, but few have the impact on me than my very own husband's podcast, The Nick Broadhurst Show. The number of people who message me about his podcast is crazy. Now, you can tell when you listen to each episode that Nick has poured so much love and detail into every episode so that you walk away with something that can truly transform your life. I walk away with so many nuggets of wisdom and I love that it's totally ad free and it covers topics such as health, wealth, money, through to entrepreneurship, creativity, soulful sex, mindset, Ayurveda, longevity, ancient wisdom, relationships, success, and so much more. If you are looking for an epic new podcast, check out The Nick Broadhurst Show. You can head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash Nick or just search Nick Broadhurst in your favorite podcast app. And do me a favor, share with me on Instagram your favorite episode and tag me and Nick, and he will respond personally to every single tag. That's the beautiful person that he is. So if you're looking for an epic podcast, 
check out The Nick Broadhurst Show. It definitely is one of my favourites. Dr. Will B is the New York Times best-selling author of the book Fiber Fueled. He is also an award-winning gastroenterologist, gut health expert, and the author of more than 20 articles in the top American gastroenterology journals. He's a graduate of Georgetown University School of Medicine and was chief medical resident at Northwestern Memorial Hospital and chief gastroenterology fellow at the University of North Carolina Hospitals. He lives in Charleston, South Carolina with his wife and two children. And in today's episode, we chat about what is the gut microbiome, why it's so important and how you can heal it, the indicators of gut issues and microbiome damage, how past trauma, abuse and eating disorders may be the root cause of our severe gut issues, his health journey and how he is living proof of his own healing method, how to heal your gut, why diversity in your diet is key to making your microbes happy and achieve epic health, how to get your children to be excited about eating more fruits and vegetables, even if they are picky eaters, all you need to know about food elimination and the six food groups that highly influence our microbiome health, plus so much more. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 337. Now, before we dive into today's epic conversation, I want to read the review of the week. And this week, it's a five-star review from Rebecca Richards, and it's titled, Lifts My Spirit and Expands My Mind. And Rebecca says, Thank you, Melissa, for creating a fantastic podcast. I often choose your podcast because every single time it lifts my spirit and expands my mindset. It's such a wonderful thing as it feels like I'm gifting myself every time I plug into your show. I'm a therapist, mentor, mother, partner, and business owner, and I can often feel like I'm everyone else's cheerleader and support person. When I listen to your podcast, I feel supported and realigned to my true self. Thank you, Rebecca. Rebecca, thank you so much for that beautiful review. I am so grateful and I'm so glad that you love it and feel so lit up and expanded by it. That means the world to me. And as a little thank you gift, I want to gift you my wildly wealthy guided meditation. All you have to do is email your review into hello at melissaambrosini.com and I'll send that over to you. And if you want to get my bursting with love guided meditation, leave a review on Amazon for mastering your main goal or open wide or both and send me a screenshot and I'll send that over to you as well. And now, without further ado, let's get this party started. Let's bring on the incredible, the big-hearted, the awesome Dr. Will B. Dr. B, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. But before we dive in, you need to tell us what you had for breakfast this morning. Oh my gosh, Melissa, you're catching me off guard. You're throwing me a curveball right off the bat. What's up with that? Let me be honest. I, most weekdays, most weekdays, I don't have breakfast. But on the weekends, I usually do. So 
to put into perspective, I'm a believer in time-restricted eating. And so what I'll do is during the week, I will have dinner, hopefully by 7.30 p.m., usually even earlier, honestly, because I have little kids, so I'm usually putting my kids to bed by 7.30. And then I make a hard rule, no food or beverage after dinner. Like basically, it's just water for at least three or four hours. I go to bed, I get my eight hours of sleep. I'm like very like serious about my sleep. Like this is like a big thing for me. And then I wake up in the morning and it's at that point, it's been like 12 hours since anything other than water has touched my lips. So, and then I'll wake up and I'll have some coffee and I have like this greens drink that I'll have in the morning. And then I usually eat at lunchtime and that's it. But on the weekends, I like, uh, you know, it depends if I want sweet or savory. Sweet is a smoothie bowl with all kinds Yum. of things. Yeah. And savory is an avocado toast on sourdough, always with like lots of garlic and lots of cayenne pepper. I like it hot. So what did you have for breakfast? Tell us what's the secret. Oh, okay. Okay. What I had this morning was a smoothie bowl. So I put in there a cup of organic wild blueberries. I put in there two scoops of vegan protein and half a cup of oats. So I soaked those oats overnight and then put them in there. And then I put in a few seeds today, which was really yummy. It was so yummy. And I just love it. Like it's so delicious. And yeah, my husband usually has oats and berries and maple syrup and all of that deliciousness too. But for me, I like just having a liquid breakfast. It works better for me. My stomach loves it and I just love it. Do you freeze your bananas or do you do it as a liquid smoothie? Do you do more of a bowl or do you do it as a liquid? More as a liquid. Yeah, it kind of goes complete liquidy. And I put in a little bit of water as well. And I make sure it's like warm water. So then it's not a cold smoothie bowl. It's like room temperature, almost warm, which I just love. Nice. It's so good. So I've I've like kind of recently discovered that if you freeze your bananas, then it turns your smoothie into nice cream. So, and it's such a winner because I love it and also my kids love it. And so it's a way to sneak so much good stuff into the diet of my kids. So like my three-year-old son, it's like, he's, you know, it's like heaven on earth for my three-year-old son. And little does he realize the broccoli sprouts and the spinach and all the good stuff that's hiding in there. He has no clue. He's just like, this is a delicious ice cream bowl. You know? I love that. I love that. That's something that a lot of people struggle with is getting their children to eat really healthy food. So tell us how old are your kids and have they struggled with eating healthy food or has it just been what you've done from day one so they don't know any different? Yeah, I so I give all the credit to my wife, by the way. My wife gets a shout out here. She's incredible. Her name's Valerie. And I my daughter is six. My son is three. He's three, but like he is ready to start shaving soon. He has more facial hair than I do. My son is like literally, it's, Melissa, it's crazy. My son, we went to the beach and I made a huge mistake because there was another kid, another little boy playing with my son. And my son was like literally like eight inches taller than this kid. And I was like, how old is your son? Is he two? And I should not like said an actual number. I should have just said, how old is your son? And they're like, oh, he's almost four. And I was like, oh no, please don't, please don't ask me. Please don't ask me how old my son is. And they're like, how old is your son? I'm like, he's three. And like, you know, my son's over there and he's like driving a car and he's smoking a cigarette. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> you know? So anyway, yeah, he's huge. But um, uh, I have to give all the credit to my wife because I honestly, and I think it's a fascinating topic 
I am convinced that a child's taste buds are determined by the food that mom eats during pregnancy. And so my, my wife has been a healthy eater for a very long time. And like a lot of what I've learned about how to eat, I've learned from my wife. Like I should like be giving my wife even more credit than I do in my book. So during pregnancy, it's kind of interesting. My wife ate broccoli sprouts all the time. And you know, I mean, they're so bitter, right? They're so bitter. Yeah. And I've learned to embrace the bitter for two reasons. Number one, I accept that that bitter flavor is like destroying cancer. So I'm like, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Destroying cancer. And the second is that it helps me grow hair on my chest. And so that makes me feel really good. So, but my wife ate a ton of broccoli sprouts during pregnancy. And it's so interesting because when my son started eating solid food, he was less than one year old. He was eight months old and he was eating broccoli sprouts. And he would literally like, we would put him on the tray. You know how like little kids have that tray and he would, we would just put a whole bunch of broccoli sprouts on the tray and he would just reach out and grab handfuls and smash them into his mouth. So I'm convinced that my kids got their taste buds because of the way that my wife ate during each of the two pregnancies. And they just, they've been raised this way. So like it's berries for breakfast almost every day. And, you know, there's no, they've never had chicken nuggets. They don't know what chicken nuggets are unless they've got them at school. So. Yeah. So I read somewhere that you shouldn't have broccoli sprouts when you're pregnant. And if you do, you could lightly steam them. What's all that about? The concern that people have is more they're, they're extrapolating to sprouts in general. It's not specific to broccoli sprouts. It's more right. so concerns related to sprouts and the spread of infections. So like E. coli or salmonella could potentially be spread through sprouts. And it has to do more with the agricultural practices of trying to produce a fresh product that is not contaminated and deliver it to your local store and then have you bring it home and consume it. And the the problem really hasn't been with broccoli sprouts. It's actually been with alfalfa sprouts, which is a bean sprout. Right. So, and, and many people, you know, interchange sprouts. They say, oh, do the benefits of broccoli sprouts apply to alfalfa sprouts? No, they're different. They're different plants. So, and the same is true when it comes to these infections is that sometimes there's an outbreak with alfalfa sprouts, but there's never been any outbreaks with broccoli sprouts. And, you know, for, and for what it's worth, the, the farm that we get our broccoli sprouts from, like, triple checks and verifies that there's no evidence for any bacteria before they actually package it. So, so we've never, you know, we've been eating broccoli sprouts every single day for a few years now, and we've never had any sort of issue whatsoever, including during pregnancy, but I understand the concern. Yeah. My husband is obsessed with sprouts. He is the sprouter in the family. He's got the sprouting jars. He's obsessed with it. He talks to them. They're his little babies. He loves it. I just enjoy them, but he's the one that's like rinsing them and tending to them and talking to them like it's really sweet. But we've only recently got into sprouts this year and we love it. Yeah, no, I love sprouts too. And it's, it's pretty cool to consider how you could sprout something and enhance its nutritional value. And it's really not that hard to do. And most people don't realize that you don't need soil to sprout. Mm. You, all you need is a seed and water. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And I love the vision of your husband talking to the sprouts because that's like me with my fermented food. I'm like, you know, yeah. in there with this jar of sauerkraut and I'm talking to it. And like when I retire a SCOBY, I have like a ceremony outside to retire the SCOBY or I eat the SCOBY just out of respect. So anyway, I think that's cool. And, you know, I don't know if you've 
come across this book, but there's a new book that came out by Doug Evans. I just interviewed him this week. Oh, well, there you go. Boom. Yeah, exactly. But it's amazing. And I actually, in the episode, I had my sprouts here and I was showing him all my sprouts and he was like, oh yeah, that looks amazing. So that episode was so great and I learned so much. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's really cool. And I, I think that it's it's something that's kind of fun that we can all do mm. at home and you just don't even need hardly anything in terms of supplies. It's so easy. Exactly. I want to talk to you about microbiome. Let's pretend that this is like a microbiome 101 because it's such a huge topic. There is loads of conflicting information out there. And I want to make this super simple and digestible, pardon the pun, for people. So can you explain to us what is the gut microbiome? Why is it so important? And how can we heal it? Okay, let's do this. I'm going in. <laughs> Dive in. Let's do it. Let's do it. So let's let's take it from the top. And, you know, we think of ourselves as these like powerful, dominant creatures, humans, like we are the masters of our domain. But little do we realize that covering us from the top of our head all the way down to the tip of our toes are these invisible microbes. And they're as alive as you and I are, Melissa. They have personalities, they have characteristics, they have food <laughs> preferences. It's quite fascinating to consider. And they, they live as a part of us, a part of our body, in what any biologist would consider an ecosystem. In the same way that you would consider the Great Barrier Reef or the Amazon rainforest to be an ecosystem. And the number is absolutely staggering. So as I said, they're all over us. They're all external structures have microbes, our skin, top of our head, inside of a woman's vagina, but they're most concentrated inside of us, deep, deep inside of us, inside of our bowels. And the main spot is the colon, which is the large intestine. And so in there, you will find this like, teeming community that is dynamically evolving literally by the second of these microbes and you can't see them okay which makes it hard for us to fathom but mm. if you were to like look at your thumb right now on your thumb there's as many microbes as there are people in the uk like i'm not wow. saying london i'm saying i'm saying much more than london the entire uk there's more microbes right there on your thumb and so to put into perspective the number that we use for these microbes is about 39 trillion. And it's hard to fathom this number, but if we took every single star in our galaxy, you would need 100 galaxies full of stars to equal the number of microbes that every single one of us, myself, you, Melissa, and the people listening at home have living inside of you. And so these microbes, let's talk about them a little bit. There's many different types. They're mostly bacteria. So now we have been taught that bacteria are like, they're bad, right? Mm. They're trying to harm us. E. coli, salmonella, I just talked about them a moment ago. But actually, most of these microbes are incredibly friendly and they want to help us. They're our friends. They want to see us thrive and survive because when we do that, then they get to hang out longer and they get to be a part of it. So mostly bacteria, but we also have fungi, which some might call yeast. And we have these ones, my favorite, are called the archaea. Archaea are not bacteria. They're not fungi. They're somewhere in the middle. And they've been on this planet for 4 billion years. Okay. Humans have only been around for 3 million. 
So, and it's kind of interesting to consider that we've only had oxygen on this planet for 2.5 billion years. So these archaea were like on this weird scorched earth that didn't even have oxygen for 1.5 billion years. So I guess the bottom line is this, no matter, no matter what happens in this planet, global warming, whatever it may be, <laughs> these archaea, they're going to be okay. They'll make it through. And, and then we may have parasites. Some of us may have parasites and then we have viruses. So it's this big complex community. And believe it or not, there are more microbes than there are human cells. So we are less than 50% human. We don't carry this like hyper-concentrated community of microbes for no reason. They're not just like passively along for the ride. They're not, for the most part, parasites trying to take from us but not give back. Instead, they're our partners. They're partners in life for us. And it's very interesting to consider, like most people don't think about this, but you know, if you, if you could like hop in a time machine and go back to the very first human, you know, and you can name this human Adam if you want to, but like go back to the very first human, that human had a microbiome. And the microbiome has been a part of the human experience literally from day one. And our evolution has included them every single step along the way. So we co-evolved through the years. And so as a result of that, it's interesting to consider that what we're learning in modern science, Melissa, is that it's entirely evident that through evolution, we grew to really, really trust these microbes. We grew to trust that they would take care of us and help us when we needed them. Because if you, if you look at the responsibility that we've given them, it's like, it's everything for human health. So we trust them with our digestion, which means we need them for access to nutrients. That's life. Like <laughs> you can't live without access to nutrients. We trust them with that. They're connected to our immune system. You literally cannot separate them from our immune system, our metabolism, our insulin sensitivity, the way that our brain works, our focus, our, our mood, our hormones, you know, estrogen regulated by these microbes, androgens, male sex hormones regulated by these microbes, even our cravings. There's evidence to suggest that when we crave specific things, it's because these microbes are sending signals that motivate us to crave these specific things. Basically, they are deeply embedded into the way that our body works. I'm convinced that it's impossible for our body to function properly without them. There's too much science to show us that we need them. And, and we can get into more detail with this. We are living a life in 2020 that over the last 100 years has rapidly changed. And virtually all of the changes that we've made in terms of becoming more modern in our lifestyle has been destructive to these microbes. And so it's mm -hmm. time for us to become conscious of the fact that we have these microbes, this life inside of us that wants to help us, but we can they can only help us if we acknowledge them and if we nurture them. And that's mm. what it's all about. Yes. I've spoken many times on this podcast about the types of things that damage our gut microbiome things like pesticides, alcohol, 
toxic food, even stress, all these sorts of things, Roundup, all these things that we're exposed to. How do you know if you have gut issues and what can we do to heal them? Sure. So let's start with the first question. How do, how do we know if people have gut issues? So I am a gastroenterologist. I am still in practice and see patients. I, I take call during the week and you know, I'm, I'm convinced that literally every person that walks through the doors of my clinic has damage to their microbiome. And the way that I see the evidence, that I see the proof, they all suffer with digestive symptoms. That's why they're there to see me, right? So, but people who have damage to their gut, they suffer with digestive symptoms. They have acid reflux, gas, bloating, abdominal discomfort, particularly surrounding meals, nausea. They may have constipation or diarrhea. All of these things can, may indicate that there's been damage to the gut microbiome. But I also see that there's these other symptoms that are a little bit more nebulous in the sense that it's a little bit hard to wrap your mind around what exactly is causing it. But, but you see this pattern time and time again with these patients where they have brain fog, they have fatigue, they may have rashes. Eczema. They may have eczema, they may have joint issues. And so you see these other symptoms. So there's a list of symptoms that's rather long. And then the verification goes like this. When I see a person, I'll give you an example, a classic patient that walks through the doors of my clinic may be there to see me for gas bloating, nausea, generalized abdominal pain, and a change in their bowel habits, okay? So that person comes to see me for those specific symptoms. And you know, in our healthcare system, in the Western world, we, we break it into specialties and in little like buckets when the body doesn't work that way, the body works as a whole. And so, but this person will come to see me and I'm looking at their list of medical issues and they're 36 years old and they have migraine headaches and they have endometriosis and they have anxiety and depression. And, you know, I see these issues, they have Hashimoto's and so they have low thyroid and I see this and I, I'm like, okay, they're here to see me for their gut issue, for their gut symptoms, but their migraine headaches their endometriosis, their anxiety, their depression, and their Hashimoto's, every single one of those things, it has been demonstrated quite clearly that there is damage to the gut microbiome when people develop those conditions. Mm. And so I don't need a test to answer the question, does this person have damage to their gut microbiome? The answer is already there. The question for me that, I am, that I'm always wondering as this person walks through the door is what's the story that got us here? Yeah. Because I think it's important to understand the story because that's part of finding the solution. You know, you have to go to the root of the problem if you want to fix the real issue. And so what's the story that got us here? And it's not always like a, a, a purely dietary thing. Could be antibiotics as well. So often it's antibiotics. So often it's antibiotics. You know, many times it's the story. I'll ask them, I'll say, so when you were a kid, did you have a lot of ear infections? And they say, yeah, like I had antibiotics, you know, eight times a year when I was between wow. the ages of one and three, right? Or it'll, or I'll say, so when you're a teenager, acne issues? And they're like, yeah, I took tetracycline and, you know, I took minocycline like every single day. Or do you have chronic sinus issues? Yes, like I have to take antibiotics because I have sinus infections three or four times a year. 
right? So, okay, boom, we have our answer. But then the other, some of the most challenging ones actually, Melissa, and you, you touched on this. And I thought that this was something that needs to be drawn out and brought up in more detail because it's a huge point. The most challenging cases that I take care of, the most challenging scenarios with my patients are people that have been the victim of trauma, some form of, of abuse, whether it's physical or sexual or psychological or emotional, or people with a history of disordered eating pattern, you know, something that can be on a spectrum that includes anorexia or bulimia. And these are the patients who have been to three, four, five doctors before they come to see me. And I don't get that history on the first day that I meet them. So the challenge is that many times they've been back to see me three, four, five times, and we're not quite getting where we need to be. And I'm starting to wonder what's the, what's the story and why is this not getting better? And the trust in our relationship has grown to a place where now they feel comfortable opening up to me because we have that relationship. And when that happens, the minute I, the minute that that becomes clear that there's a history of abuse or that there's a history of disordered eating pattern. I, I know, I know that this is what's holding them back. And it's whether it's conscious or not conscious, these, these issues are like an engine that never stops and it's constantly working against them. And it requires an adequate amount of persistent attention to really grapple with it. And so that in those patients, I have had amazing success, but the amazing success really comes from not just trying to fix their gut, but trying to fix their gut and being willing to have difficult conversations that lead to us actually taking on these, these complex and challenging issues. Yeah. And looking at the emotional side of things, it's a huge piece of it, the mental and the emotional side. 110%. And it's, and it's not to be underrated. And I feel like sometimes we have stigmatized it mm. and we should, you know, that's, that's not, stigma is not helpful. You know, when we're talking about things that could be considered on a spectrum of mood disorders or mental health issues, you know, there's, there's no shame in seeking help for something that is holding you back. We all have our challenges and struggles. And it's just a matter of identifying what those challenges and struggles are and getting the right help to get better. So, but anyway, you asked about how, how do we heal? Yeah. And in your latest book, Fiberfield, which is amazing, by the way, you've got this four weeks to a better gut. Now I want everyone to go and get the book because it's life-changing information, but can you kind of take us through a rough overview of these four steps and how we can really thrive and heal our gut and be the best version of ourselves? Because when we've got all of these issues, we can't show up as the best version of ourselves. Absolutely. No, it's it's so true. And it's it's quite interesting because I have lived that life myself. So I think that's an important part of what of what informs who I am and the way that I, I practice. I I never in a million years thought that I would be the guy talking about plant-based gut health. <laughs> you know, like this is not who I thought I was. Yeah. Did you, like when you were in high school and after high school, did you know you wanted to be a gastroenterologist? Like, did you know that? No, 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 no. In fact, if you asked me, I would have been like a poop doctor. Yeah. What are you talking about? You know? And so the, no, the, I actually thought I wanted to be a pediatrician because I love kids 
And what I realized when I was in medical school and I was working in the hospital is that I love kids, but I love kids when you're playing with kids and you're having fun. I don't like giving shots to kids. I don't like it when they hate me, you know, and they're crying and all that kind of stuff. So I couldn't do it. So anyway, so yeah, I, and I, even when I signed up to be a gastroenterologist, which was 2005, and I went through a process of eight additional years of training after medical school, you know, no step during that process did I think that this is who I was going to come become. I, and I had no intention of becoming this person. But along the way, I started to suffer with my own health issues. I was living this lifestyle where the junk food diet that I was eating with a lot of fast food, a lot of processed food, it's all, it was all about convenience for me. I was working, you know, 16 to 18 hours per day, six days a week, I was not sleeping. I was kind of narcoleptic, like it was weird. I could be like, at home with the person that I was dating at the time. And this used to drive her crazy because we'd like be having a conversation and it'd be Friday night. And then all of a sudden I just pass out, <laughs> like boom, out. So I was living this crazy life and it caught up with me from a health perspective. I put on more than 20 kilograms of weight relative to what, what I consider to be my baseline. I had a lot of anxiety, high blood pressure, low, low energy, very low self-esteem, even though I was doing very well professionally. And I got to this place where I was like, I was depressed and something had to give. I had to break out of this like vicious cycle. And so I tried to exercise my way out of it and it just didn't work. Like I built, I could build muscle, I could build endurance, but I couldn't, I couldn't fix my gut and I couldn't fix my health issues and I couldn't lose the weight. And it was actually meeting the person who's now my wife, my wife, Valerie, you know, we started to date and I had never been around anyone that was even remotely close to plant-based. And so we were on a date and it was, I was kind of like, what is she eating over there? Because it was all plants. And, but what I noticed is that she could eat without restriction and she was enjoying her food. She was completely satisfied by it. And she had absolute control over her weight and it was very much effortless for her. And here I am and I'm like sweating out workouts six days a week <laughs> and not losing weight. So I, I started making small changes and it was just like one small thing after another where I progressively made healthier substitutions and started leveling up from a nutritional perspective. And next thing I know, like the weight is melting off my body, the anxiety lifts my blood pressure normalizes. I start having my self-esteem surge back. I feel like the guy that I should have been the whole time, you know, and I felt like I was in my thirties again, if not twenties, to be honest with you, I felt like I was reverse aging in a way. And so I brought this into my clinic and I started healing my patients and with amazing results. So I apologize, by the way, Melissa, for that wild tangent. No, no. I wanted to hear that story and how you got all into everything that you do. That's fascinating. And usually the reason a lot of people get into health is through a health crisis. And that was definitely the case for me. In 2010, I ended up in hospital with a whole laundry list of health issues. And it was all related to gut stuff, which just blows my mind. And if I hadn't have gone through that, I probably would never have studied holistic nutrition which then led me to spirituality, which led me to meditation and led me on the path that I'm on now, which I'm so grateful for. But yeah, it's usually a health crisis that gets us into learning about health and taking that path. 
Isn't that funny how, you know, these two worlds converge or like these paths have now converged where 10 years ago, you know, you and I were both in our own sort of dark place from a health perspective. And it motivated us to make a transformational change in our own lives and then to share that transformational change and then experience with the world. And now here we are and you're in Australia and I'm in the United States and we're talking through a computer <laughs> and doing a podcast. Podcasts like barely exist. I think Rich Roll was the only one with a podcast in 2010. Were they around then? Were they around in 2010? I think that they were they were around, but they were so basic yeah. that it, w- it would be like comparing an iPhone to the old school flip phones. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it was so basic back then. But, you know, Rich is the godfather and, and I'm pretty sure Rich had a podcast in 2010, but no one else did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. It's amazing that we're here and we get to experience this and share everything that we've learned. Yeah, exactly. So, and, you know, so with regard, with regard to what I've learned, what I've learned with myself, what I've learned with my patients, what the science is showing me, because a big part of this story for me is that, I mean, I think it's quite obvious at this point, I'm a nerd. (laughs) And so I started digging into research studies and seeing validation of what was happening with my own body. And so these research studies showed me this path to optimizing gut health. And and I started using it in my practice. And now you'll find it in my book, Fiber Field. And so what it is, is that I kind of view it as being sort of two parts in a way, which is that the, the most important thing in terms of forming your gut, let me say this, your, your gut, no matter what you've done to it so far to date, there's good news. Your microbes forgive you. Yay. 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 They're not going to hold a grudge. The body is just so resilient, so amazing, and so forgiving, isn't it? It wants to heal. Yes, it comes back to equilibrium. And it wants to help you. And the, and the issue is you just need to be aware and conscious of the things that are kind of driving, driving it away. And let's bring it back. Let's re-embrace it. Let's make it our friend. And then let's thrive together, right? So... And the way that we do this is to acknowledge that these microbes, I kind of said this in the beginning, but they're alive. Mm. They're alive. They're as alive as you and I are. It's hard to accept because you can't see them, but they're as alive as you and I are. They have their own personalities. They have their own taste buds. And just like us, they need to be fed. They need energy. So if, if we don't eat, we grow weak, we recede. At some point, we become incapable of doing our jobs. And we can get sick and things can get worse and worse from there. The same is true for these microbes. They need to be fed. And their preferred food is fiber. That's what they want to eat. But the problem is that we live in a world in 2020 where we have made a serious mistake because the thing that we've decided to remove from our diet is the fiber. So you look, and the and this is true in both the U.S. and also Australia. We're very, very similar in parallel in this regard. We're averaging somewhere around 15 to 17 grams of fiber per day. And it is, number one, <laughs> insanely low. And number two, we're probably the most fiber-deprived societies in human history. And... If you look like the minimum amount that we should be getting is 25 grams for women and 38 grams for men. And 97% of Americans don't even meet that mark. 
And I can prove it because if you look, it's, it's actually quite embarrassing that when they try to do fiber studies in the United States, they can't really find anyone who consumes an adequate amount of fiber. They'll do a fiber study. And what they do is they go, let's compare the high fiber consumers to the low fiber consumers. But then you look at the high fiber consumers and they're getting like 21 grams of fiber. When the minimum recommended amount is 25 for women and 38 for men. And so anyway, we are wildly fiber deprived. And I want people to understand about fiber, like what it is that's so special, because this is not the fiber that you heard about from your grandma when she was stirring the orange drink because she was constipated and had to have a bowel movement. Fiber is unique. It is exciting. Dare I say sexy. Fiber passes through the small intestine, untouched, unchanged, and it arrives into your colon where your microbes, this is where they live, they get into an absolute feeding frenzy because you're giving them the food that they're starving for. And what then occurs is almost magical, like Harry Potter type stuff, where these microbes consume the fiber and they transform the fiber into something called short-chain fatty acids, butyrate, acetate, and propionate. And these short-chain fatty acids are basically our microbes paying us back, rewarding us for the fact that we just fed them. And so short-chain fatty acids, let me tell you some of the things that they do. They're incredible. They're, they're honestly, they're honestly probably the most important thing that I've come across in nutrition. And yet no one is talking about them, which I guess is good for me because I got to write about them in my book and I could have written a couple more chapters if I had the opportunity to. So they actually reverse leaky gut. They optimize our microbes. So short chain fatty acids will actually enhance the healthy microbes in your gut, make them grow. And simultaneously, they will suppress the E. coli and the salmonella and the bad guys. There are bad guys in there and we can suppress them by getting short chain fatty acids from fiber. They directly impair the development of colon cancer. Colon cancer is the number two cause of cancer death in the United States. They have effects throughout the entire body. They affect the immune system in a very powerful way where they help the immune system to stay balanced and not get you know, too uh, trigger happy. Trigger, a trigger happy immune system causes autoimmune disease or allergic diseases. So they balance the immune system. They lower our cholesterol. They activate the satiety hormones so that we, we know when to stop eating. They improve insulin sensitivity, so they're contributing to metabolic health. They have effects throughout the entire body. They travel to the heart. We think that they prevent coronary artery disease in the heart. They travel to the brain. We have this thing called the blood-brain barrier that's quite similar to the barrier in our gut. Just like they repair the gut, they also repair the blood-brain barrier. They actually cross the blood-brain barrier and they go into our brain and they optimize our brain function we have studies that suggest that these short-chain fatty acids actually, actually can prevent Alzheimer's disease. Like, can you imagine what the drug companies would pay for a drug that prevents Alzheimer's disease? They would pay so much money because mm. it would be used across the entire world. Guys, if you're listening right now, don't wait for the drug. No. Just eat some, just eat some plants. They have fiber and the fiber will heal. And so, but when we talk about fiber, it's important to understand that this is not actually about grams of fiber. I realize that I've talked about grams, but it's less about grams. It's more about the fact that each plant 
has its own unique types of fiber. So I said that these microbes, they're picky eaters. They have their own taste buds. They prefer specific foods. So some microbes like black beans and some microbes like kale, and they don't just generically eat both. And so if you, if you cut the black beans out of your diet, the microbes that thrive when you eat black beans, they're going to grow weaker and at some point become incapable of doing the job that you need them to do. So when we think about the health of our microbiome, it's important that we feed all the microbes. Mm. And the way that we feed all the microbes is to eat as many different varieties of plants as humanly possible. And it's not just Dr. B's idea. I wouldn't write a book based upon an idea. I would only write the book if I felt that this was scientifically validated. And the good news is it is. So Rob Knight, who I think may win a Nobel Prize someday, is actually, he's, he's from New Zealand and he's at the University of California, San Diego. He's doing something called the American Gut Project. But the American Gut Project is actually completely international, includes people from Australia and New Zealand. And in the American Gut Project, they analyzed their data, looking at the connection between diet and lifestyle and the health of our microbiome. And what they found is clear cut above all the rest, the number one predictor of a healthy gut was the diversity of plants in your diet. And this was, Melissa, more powerful than whether or not you self-identified as being vegan. And a lot of people were surprised by this. You're kidding. You're telling me that this is more powerful than being a vegan? Yeah, because you could be a junk food vegan that eats the same salad every single day. And that's not that healthy of a diet. You got to switch it up and get more variety. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important. And I know so many people that either go to the supermarket or better yet, they go to the markets every single week and they buy the same fruits and vegetables week after week after week. So intentionally, my husband and I, every Sunday when we go to the markets, we try and get things that we've never seen before. Of course, we get some of the same things each week, but we try and find different things. We're like, oh my gosh, we've never seen that. Or what is this thing they're growing? And we try and diversify as much as possible and try and get so many different things into our diet. Otherwise, like you said, we're just going to feed that same bacteria instead of getting you know, food for everyone, which is so important. So Melissa, tell us, tell us some like, do you have any weird stuff that you've tried recently? Is there anything cool that you want to share with the audience at home? Well, we, obviously a lot of the sprouts are all new. Like we've been trying heaps of different new sprouts. We have never found, and this might surprise you, but we've never found collard greens here in Australia. They're not as popular as they are in America. Like everywhere in America, you can get collard green wraps and they're really beautiful. So we just found there's this new little stall at the markets and she grows her own collards and she has different varieties. It's this little tiny stall and she has different varieties of radish that I've never seen before. I was like, I've never seen this vegetable before. And she's like, yeah, it's this type of radish. And I was like, wow, different types of broccoli, lots of different types of kale that I've never seen before. But yeah, that's kind of what we've been trying each week. And making sure we get different things. I love that. I love that. And I think that one of the strategies for, so for the people who are listening at home, I want to reach out to you and I want to, I want to say to you right now that if there's literally only one thing that you take away from our conversation today, 
let it be this. We need more diversity of plants in our life. No matter who you are, no matter what dietary philosophy you have, whether you are vegan, plant-based, paleo, keto, whoever, whatever, you could be agnostic. I don't care what your philosophy is. If you want a healthy gut, research shows that you need diversity of plants. So, and I think that there's two general strategies and you just brought up one of them, Melissa, which is try something new. So go to the supermarket and switch things up. We're, you know, we are creatures of habit and we need to have this conscious effort to break out of that mold of always getting the same stuff and always doing the same thing over and over again, switch it up and try new stuff. So, and that's one of the approaches. So I'll like, you know, often go to the tropical fruit section and I'll be like, what is that spiky, weird orange thing, you know? But, and then I just grab it and I throw it in the basket. I take it home. And when I get home, I try to figure out what it is and then try to figure out how to eat it. So, but the other strategy, and this is sort of in a way I would say almost my preferred strategy is when you are in food mode, which means like at your supermarket or cooking at the salad bar, when you're in food mode, I want, I want you to have diversity of plants. Like I want you to hear Dr. B diversity <laughs> of plants. And I'm there and I'm telling you like, yo, don't forget diversity of plants. And so let me give you a quick example. We will make like, no matter what you see on Instagram, we are a real family. And sometimes my wife and I are both exhausted and we got two kids to feed. So what we'll do is we'll get some organic whole wheat pasta, tomato sauce, and that by itself is not super healthy, but you can get your kids into the kitchen with you and you can take that sauce and start tossing in some garlic, onions, zucchini, maybe some spinach, some mushrooms. I don't know. I'm sure you guys would all have other stuff that you might even add in there. Get that sauce simmering. The house smells fragrant and amazing. Your kids are so psyched because they helped you cook it. And then when you serve it up, get the fresh herbs, basil, parsley, right? And now you went from two up to like nine or 10 plants. It wasn't a lot of effort. It tastes way better. And your gut microbes are doing the dance, <laughs> like they're dancing a jig, you know, in your honor. And then they're also rewarding you with these short chain fatty acids. And that is a beautiful thing because all it took was the consciousness of hearing Dr. B saying, get that diversity of plants going, yo. And that's, I think that's the general approach that I would really encourage. Yeah, I love that. Do you want to become a certified integrative health practitioner? Well, my health guru and one of my all-time favorite humans, Dr. Stephen Cabral, who's a naturopathic, functional medicine and Ayurvedic doctor, created a life-changing health coaching training. This is perfect for anyone who wants to take their health to the next level, add another tool to their current toolkit, or create an entirely new career for yourself as an integrative health practitioner. This is the first of a kind that fuses ancient Ayurvedic wisdom and prioritizes whole body holistic healing. It very carefully takes into consideration that everyone is extremely different with different body types. So there's no one size fits all approach here, which I love and totally agree with. His approach is about understanding that the body seeks equilibrium. 
So his program is all about bringing your body back into balance as quickly as possible. So this program is so in-depth and insightful. It's for anyone who wants to take their health or their family's health to the next level. Trust me, and I have seen this firsthand when Nick went from struggling after spending hundreds of thousands of dollars over many years and just not being able to get the answers or support he needed to now being in the best shape of his life with unstoppable energy and a sense of balance and calm that is truly inspiring. It's also for anyone who is already in the health and wellness field and wants to up-level their knowledge and skills or for anyone who wants an entirely new career as a certified integrative health practitioner. This program is all online, which is awesome. So you can go at your own pace. And it has got me so excited. So excited, in fact, that I'm offering an epic bonus to anyone who signs up using my special link. So head to melissarambrosini.com forward slash Cabral. That's C-A-B-R-A-L to check out all the details and to take control of your health and your future today. And something really interesting that you touched on, another amazing way to get children to eat healthy food is to get them in the kitchen. They love cooking. And if you have a garden, growing some things, telling them to go out and pick the tomatoes, come in, cut them up, cut up the carrots. They love it. So for anyone listening who is struggling to get their children to eat more fruits and vegetables, get them involved in the kitchen, get them involved in growing the produce and preparing the meal, they will feel so satisfied. I was chatting to a friend the other day and he was saying that if he tries to get his daughter to eat a carrot, she's not interested. But if she picks the carrot from the market and comes home and cuts it herself, she wants to eat it. But she doesn't want to eat it if she's told to eat it. So, you know, there's so many different things. And I know a lot of people out there really struggle with getting their children to eat well. So I just wanted to pop that in there. And like Dr. B said, diversity, diversity, diversity. It is so important. One of the things that we got in our house, so like having a garden is so good for human health. And there's evidence to suggest, which I talk about in my book a little bit, that it may be good for your microbiome as well. So gardening is great. And one thing that you can do if you don't have access to like the, you know, patch of dirt is there, they have now these, these like, farm stands where they basically grow vertically. And it is actually very cool because, for example, we have one. It's on our deck. It takes up virtually no space. It's growing 24 plants right now. We have tomatoes. We have green beans. We've had zucchini. I got some watermelon that's in the process of growing. We got all kinds of heads of lettuce. And my son, who's three, is so proud of this. It's like, hey, Liam, who grew the garden? He's like, I did. And then he runs out there and he grabs a big old thing of lettuce and like stuffs his face. And so I, I just wanted to riff off of what you're saying and, and point out that that's one of the things that I found to be very helpful. Yeah, they love it. They love it. Something else that I love in your book is the acronym F goals. Can you talk us through F goals? Yeah, actually, what a perfect, perfectly timed conversation because we just got done talking about diversity of plants. Um, but the reality is this, you are not going to eat every single plant in equal proportion. That's just not realistic. And I kind of look at it like this. The plants, they are our friends. They are our friends. They want to support us. They want to nurture us. They want to help us. 
And you're going to have a lot of different friends, but it's okay to acknowledge that certain plants are your best friends. So this acronym F goals, this is how I remember my foundational foods for optimal gut health. These are my best friends. And I try to get them, if not every day, at least a couple times a week. So that is fruit. F stands for fruit and fermented. So like fruit, you know, I don't understand why we have made it sound so scary. Fruit does not cause us to gain weight. It causes us to lose weight. Fruit does not spike our blood sugar. It actually improves our blood sugar. I just wanted to say one thing there because I had for many years, I had fruit fear because I believed the story that fruit was sugar, which equaled weight. And so for so many years, I literally, the only thing I ate was berries, blueberries mainly. And now I just look back and I'm like, all of those, that diversity that I was missing out on. So can you just clarify and clear that fear up? Yeah, I mean, let me let me give you an example. We have heard, do, do you guys say this in Australia, an apple a day keeps the yes. doctor away? Do you guys have that saying? Okay, so we have it too. And, you know, it's interesting, the apple, it's not necessarily considered a sexy piece of fruit. It's kind of just considered <laughs> standard fare. But there, are, there is this really fascinating study that came out where they showed that an apple has a microbiome. And you realize, actually, when you look at this study, that it's not just the apple, that all life on the planet has a microbiome. And so what that means is that the, the, the apple, when it goes from flower all the way to fruit, basically just like us, it has a bunch of microbes that are there supporting it and helping it to evolve. So when we eat an apple, there's a hundred million microbes that we may be transferring as a result of simply eating that apple. And the same would be true for other fruit. Fruit is a wonderful, wonderful source of microbes, of different types of fiber, of different phytochemicals, which are these healing chemicals that you find in plants. They have vitamins, they have minerals. I mean, the bottom line is that every single plant, whether it's fruit or otherwise, has certain positive things that it wants to contribute to your health. And so when we eat the variety we're getting as many different unique positives on board as possible. And that's that's how we really sort of optimize the way our body functions. So, and, you know, Drew Harrisburg, who I'm guessing you're probably friends with. No, no, I'm not. Oh, oh Drew Harrisburg in Australia is someone who he has type 1 diabetes and he transitions from a ketogenic diet where he actually was losing control of his blood sugar even though he was eating low carb because the insulin resistance was getting out of control, he can transitioned over to a plant-based diet with tons of fruit and actually getting better control of his diabetes because the fruit has the fiber and the phytochemicals that actually optimize insulin sensitivity and help you to keep balance of your blood sugar. So it's not actually spiking your blood sugar. It's actually giving you better control over it. Yes, I do know Drew, but I'm not personally friends with him, but his story is incredible. So we can put that fruit fear to bed, can't we? I think we can put that <laughs> fruit fear to bed. And I definitely don't live in fear of fruit. I consider it one of the great opportunities for increased plant diversity. How many pieces of fruit do you think we should eat a day? Well, you know, for me, so gosh, it's hard for me to assign a right. number. I look at it more as like opportunities. Fruit is great with breakfast. And fruit is wonderful as a snack. So many times what I'll do is I'll, I'll take an apple and an orange with me to work. 
And I'll, I'll just have that with me. And if I start to get hungry at 11 o'clock in the morning and I, you know, I have to wait another hour for lunch, have the apple, boom. And that holds me over. And it's just sort of a nice way to nourish my body so that I don't get into that toxic hunger yeah. place. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And then fermented food, just briefly, fermented food, we, you know, has been a part of every single food tradition in the history of humanity going back, you know, since the dawn of civilization 10,000 years ago. And we give, gave it up because we created preservatives and stuff, you know, that actually is destroying our gut microbiome. So I feel like it's time to get back to embracing these food traditions with fermentation where it's a living food. It has microbes, but it also, when I think of fermentation, I think of transformation where it's not just the probiotics. It's also that it has new types of fiber and it releases B vitamins or different vitamins, things of that variety. And so I, I, I feel like fermented food, it doesn't need to be a major part of our diet, but should be a part of it. I know lots of people that go absolutely crazy on fermented food, have too much and then are bent over in agony because they've just had too much kombucha, too much sauerkraut. Can you talk to us about that? And then also talk to us about the different body types, like because some body types can handle more and some, you know, just a teaspoon. So can you talk to us about that? Because I know so many people come to me and they say, I can't eat that. I can't even do that because it just, I'm in so much pain afterwards. Yeah. Well, let's, you know what, Melissa, let's, let's actually use that and let's talk more broadly about food sensitivity, period. You know, and the idea of I can't eat that, whether we're talking about fermented food or we're talking about legumes or we're talking about grains, whatever it may be. You know, there are foods that may trigger symptoms. And what we have discovered is that most of the time, what's triggering the symptom is that there is damage to the microbiome. This is why people who have food sensitivities, they also have other gut issues and usually other health issues. So damage to the microbiome. And it's not that you're actually causing inflammation. Instead, what it is, is it's, it's sloppy digestion mm. because you and I talked about this in the very beginning of the show, we rely on our microbes for digestion. And it's not so simple as just eat the food and expect that everything's going to go the way it's supposed to. There's an unpacking process that needs to unfold that includes many different enzymes that our microbes provide. So if you have a damaged gut microbiome, you may be lacking the enzymes that you need in that moment to process that amount of food. So you may be doing more than your body can handle. But Melissa, to me, I like to use the analogy of this is like exercise, okay? Think of the gut like it's a muscle. A muscle can be mm. trained. It can be made stronger. If it's seriously injured, a muscle can be rehabbed. You can rehab to restore function to a muscle. But the way that you do that is not by slamming it and going as hard as you possibly can. If you, if you haven't been to the gym and you walk into a gym on day one, you're not going to grab <laughs> the heaviest weight that exists. You're going to grab a super low weight. And you're also going to recognize that there's going to be some soreness that comes with the fact that you have to adjust your muscle and train it, right? So the gut is the same way. If you struggle with fermented foods or legumes or whole grains or garlic or whatever it may be, there is an approach that you can take 
where you introduce the food slow and low. You use a perhaps fraction of a serving, a very small amount. And you do that because that's what your gut is actually capable of processing right now. But by doing that, just like exercise in the gym, next time you come back, you're going to be a little bit stronger. And so now the opposite is also true. We need to be conscious of this, that when we do food eliminations, our gut grows weaker. So if you don't use it, you lose it. So when people do something like they, for example, say, I can't tolerate beans, so I'm going to cut them out. I'm going to cut out the beans completely. You cut them out and then you go to reintroduce them and you're like, oh my <laughs> gosh, the sensitivity is worse than before. Okay, the reason why the sensitivity is worse than before, I understand that like we, we haven't taught you this prior to literally right now, but the reason why the sensitivity is worse than before is because you haven't been eating beans. Mm. So your gut is not adapted. You don't have the enzymes that you need to unpack and process those beans. So you have to, once again, reintroduce slow and low and ramp it up over time. But as we said, your gut wants to forgive you. It is adaptable. It can be made stronger. And you just have to work through the process of reintroducing these foods slowly and you can get it back. Yeah, that definitely was the case for me when I first reintroduced beans into my diet. I was like, oh my goodness, I was in so much pain and I thought, oh, these aren't for me. But then I realized what was actually happening and that I needed to go slow and low because we do need that diversity coming back to what we were saying before. No, 100%. We need that diversity. And what I worry about is food category eliminations. So if you say, look, I, doc, I, I'm just going to be straight up. I don't like, I don't like chickpeas. It's like, okay, you, you, you'll be okay if you get rid of chickpeas, but if you get rid of the entire category of legumes, you can't replace legumes with more of this or more of that. There are certain specific things that you get from legumes that you need to get from legumes. And that's why we need to maintain that diversity in our diet. So getting back to the acronym real quick, Melissa, and just kind of running through efficiently, F is for fruit and fermented. G is for greens and grains. Again, these are my foundational foods for a healthy gut. Greens, and whole grains, whole grains, not the refined grains. O is for omega-3 superseeds. We live in a world where we don't get enough omega-3 fats. And one of the ways that we can get them is with more chia, flax, and hemp seeds. Walnuts too, by the way. A is for aromatics. Those are the flavor foods, talking about garlic and onions. L is for legumes. In case you can't tell, you guys probably can. I consider legumes to be foundational foods for a healthy gut because they're so high in fiber and resistant starches that feed our gut microbiome. And that's part of the reason why we can struggle with them when we have a damaged gut because they're so high in fiber and resistant starches. And then finally, S, I kind of didn't, like I was having trouble letting go and, and stopping my acronym. So I had so many things to pack into the letter S. So I went with shrooms, mushrooms, all right? They're not technically plants, but we're going to make them honorary plants. They're great for your gut. I went with seaweed or sea veg might be more appropriate. They have unique types of fiber that you won't find anywhere else. And then finally, you and I have already been talking about this, S for sulforaphane, which is the phytochemical that destroys cancer that you will find in broccoli sprouts more than anything out there. 
Wow. That's amazing. So we definitely all need to get some sprouts into our life. That's for sure. If you had a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world, besides Fiberfield, let's pretend that's already in the curriculum because it 100% should be. What is one other book you would choose? It doesn't have to be around health or nutrition, but just the first book that comes to your mind. Oh, man. So complicated because there's so many great books. So let me be honest with you. I am extreme. I've seen a preview and I'm extremely excited about Simon Hill's book that's going to be coming out next year. So, and I'm actually going to be writing the foreword for that book. Amazing. So, yeah, my brother from down under. So, I would say that because I think that's going to be a comprehensive education in not only nutrition, but also in understanding the way that our nutrition affects the environment, which we need to be aware of. It's very important because if we have children, we need to care about what the world looks like for our kids. But if you force me to take one book, Melissa, that's already out, I'm just going with knee jerk. I'm going with my knee jerk, which is the first one that came to mind. And that is, I think I would go with the Blue Zones. Oh, yeah. So good. I think so. The Blue Zones by Dan Buettner. And here's what I love about this. This book is about capturing what is the spirit of humanity. So yes, there is a nutritional element. And myself, I may fixate on the nutritional element or, or discussion that exists where all five blue zones, for those that haven't heard of the blue zones, there are these geographic locations on our planet where people live to be 100 years old at a rate that is off the charts. And they are Sardinia, off the coast of Italy, Icaria, Greece, Okinawa, Japan, then the Koya Peninsula in Costa Rica, and then, <laughs> shockingly, right here in the United States, it's Loma Linda, California, which is where the Seventh-day Adventists live. And so these, these people are, you know, by all measures, profoundly more healthy. For example, the Seventh-day Adventists in California, they live on average 10 years more than the average American, even though they live in the same country with the, they don't have special health care. They don't have a special like supply of food. They just make better choices. So, but I, the other thing about it, Melissa, is that it's about human connection. It's about stress management. It's, it's about having purpose in life. So it would be doing a disservice to the beauty of the book to just acknowledge the nutrition when there's so much more to living a healthy life. And I think that's sort of part of my point when it comes to the gut is that we can, you and I can sit here, hang out and talk about nutrition all day long, but there's more to it than that. You know, it's our lifestyle is just as important as our nutrition. And that's what, that's the message. Like for my kids, I want my kids to be healthy. I want them to be happy. And a lot of the ideas of what I see as being important for a healthy, happy life, you'll find reflected in the Blue Zones book. Mm. It's so incredible. That book is amazing. And yeah, I want to encourage everyone to go and read that. We'll link to it in the show notes as well as Fiber Fueled because everyone needs to get their hands on that. I want to talk to you now about your day. Do you have any morning routines? Do you meditate? How do you set yourself up for success? You spoke to us about your eating habits throughout the day. 
But what about other success principles that you have? Okay. I think that perhaps the most underrated thing out there is like we spend so much energy talking about nutrition and then we lose sight of the importance of sleep. It's so, it's free and all it requires is this. I love sleep so much. It is the best fun. It's so much fun. Like I get into bed and I'm like, yes. And my husband's like, you are so strange. And I just love it. Do you nap? No, I don't really nap, but I go to sleep early and I get eight really deep, juicy sleep hours. And the thing is, you said this at the very start, you said you take it really seriously. I do too. Like I am like sleep Nazi. I just love it so much. Yes. Serious about your sleep game. I, so I love to nap. My wife will not nap at all, but I love to nap. And so that's one of my favorite afternoon activities. Like a Sunday, my ideal Sunday afternoon is that the there's golf on TV. And I'm going to tell you right now, I have zero interest in golf. Zero interest. I could not care less. But it is extremely relaxing because they always pipe in the bird noises. So you hear these birds chirping in the background and it'll be like the commentator will speak in this nice and very relaxed voice about these strokes. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm on the couch. I'm taking my nap. I feel great. So, but sleep is, sleep is actually incredibly important to the microbiome. It's very interesting. People who are deprived of sleep, it's a form of torture Mm -hmm. in a way. And what you see happen in the microbiome is that there will be a shift in the microbiome that will happen acutely. Like literally one bad night without sleep will shift your microbiome. And I want to ask a question to everyone listening at home. When you are fatigued, when you're tired, what do you want to eat? Yeah. Usually they go for the ice cream, the sugar, the chocolate. Exactly. So you go for the simple carbs. And what's fascinating is that the the evidence is suggesting that it's your microbiome that's motivating this. Because what we see, Melissa, is a shift in the microbiome where your microbiome will start to resemble that of a person who is obese. Wow. Yes. And so you see this shift in the microbiome. And when it shifts, you start to crave foods that are unhealthy for you because there's these microbes that are more dominant in their influence. And they're driving you to go and eat these simple carbs. That's what's, that's what's forcing that. And so, and you see in people who are shift workers, God bless them. God bless our nurses and police officers and our firefighters. I've been a shift worker. And so I know exactly what this is like. And people who are shift workers are prone to metabolic disease. They're more prone to obesity, to type two diabetes, even to coronary artery disease. And this we believe is the reason why, because it's not just getting eight hours of sleep. It's getting the proper eight hours of sleep that is, that is oriented to your circadian rhythm. So going to bed at one in the morning and sleeping to nine is not that healthy. You are much better off going to bed at 10, 1030 and sleep until six or 630. And so timing is really important when it comes to sleep. The number of hours is important. And the, and then the third part of this, which I think is an underrated thing, is, and look, I'll be the first to admit, like, I am not good about putting down the phone at night. I'm, also, I'm constantly like, dang, man, I'm getting all these messages on Instagram. I need to try to respond to some of these people. 
And so I'm trying to catch up on this Instagram work that exists. And uh, But the blue light, the blue light from our computer, from our phone, from our tablet, even from our television, you should not have a television in your bedroom. You should not watch television in your bedroom. And the light actually projects onto the back of our eye and our retina absorbs this blue light, Melissa, and then it affects melatonin levels. Do you wear the blue light glasses, the blue blocking glasses? I So my wife is really good about coming down and be like, yo, you need to put these suckers on right here. And so she doesn't actually say that. That's, that sounds more like a like me. But anyway, she she will come down and, and have me put them on. I am not good about remembering to do this, but I'm just going to say that I think that this is an important thing. And this is yet another example of how our modern lifestyle, you know, 30 years ago, Maybe you had your television, but you didn't have a laptop computer. You didn't have a cell phone or a tablet. And now here we are 30 years later, and we have all of these electronics that frankly we're addicted to, mm. you know, and we need, we need those dopamine hits. And so we have to pick up our phone every two seconds and check to see if, if you know, someone followed us on Instagram. And we are potentially affecting the quality of our sleep, which affects our microbiome. So I think, I think quality sleep is super important. Yeah, absolutely. Try and remember your glasses. Put a reminder in your phone to put them on. (laughs) But I'm the one that does it for my husband. So they're in our bedroom beside our bed. And I'm the one that usually goes in, gets them both out of our drawers. And I walk over to him and I just give them to him and he puts them on straight away. But yeah, they're great. Like we're so used to that now and it's just ingrained within us. It's a habit. But it does make a huge difference to the quality of your sleep, for sure. 100%. And then the other thing, so we talked a little bit about intermittent fasting, okay? I I love coffee. Coffee and tea, both black tea and green tea, have polyphenols, which feed our microbiome. So there are aspects. It's not for everyone. There are some people who will have sensitivity to the caffeine. But there are polyphenols in our coffee, tea that will actually feed our microbiome. And so these beverages, I, I look, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm totally biased. If you tell me, show me any study that says the coffee is good for us, and I'm going to say it's the best study ever. <laughs> so, but, but I, I do, I do think that there is a place for these beverages. And what the mistake that we make is that we will throw junk mm-hmm. in with the beverage. So like these, like, I mean, particularly these things that you don't even have to refrigerate and I'm not sure if it's dairy or what it is. And it comes in a little packet and you just open it up and pour it in and it has the sugar and the weird dairy thing that I'm not even sure if it's dairy. So, you know, it's the stuff that we add that makes it worse. So I've actually become a fan, Melissa, of using my coffee as a vehicle to enhance my health. So here's how I do this. I add prebiotics to my coffee every day. So I start my morning off with two glasses of water and then I go for my coffee. So hydrate first, then go for the, you know, hydration before caffeination. But my coffee, I will put in either acacia powder, partially hydrized guar gum, or wheat dextrin. I'll put one of those into my coffee. And then I'll also add spices. So I like cinnamon. Yum. I like pumpkin spice, which includes like nutmeg and cinnamon. All right. And if I, so again, I'm a doctor. 
I get call. Sometimes I get a call at three in the morning and it ruins, like totally disrupts my night of sleep because my heart starts racing and it's hard to go back to bed. So when that happens, here's what I put into my coffee. I put in some maca powder and some ashwagandha. The maca gives me a boost of energy. The ashwagandha is something that makes me feel very balanced. Mm. So normally on a day like that, I will be exhausted and kind of edgy and, you know, maybe even a little snarky. <laughs> and by getting the ashwagandha, it helps me mellow out and just kind of helps me to get through my day so that hopefully the next night I get a really good night's rest. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, so good. So good. So, so good. Okay, I have three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? Let's do it. Okay. I think I know the answer to this first one, but what is one thing that we can do today for our health? Okay. Diversity of plants. Diversity of plants is the number one thing that you can do for your health. But you know what? Let me take it in a different direction. There are ways that you can help to heal your gut without even lifting a fork. And you and I have talked about some of these. Sleep, intermittent fasting, exercise, human connection, and spending time outdoors. So some people call it a forest bath. Spend some time outdoors. Yeah, I love it. I love it. All right, next one. What is one thing that we can do for our wealth? So more abundance in all areas of our life. All right. I believe that we, because we love things that we can objectively measure, that are indisputable. We fixate on things that we can objectively measure, like money. And there are a lot of rich people that are miserable. And we we don't adequately value the subjective things that other people may not be able to measure in you. But you know the truth. And that is happiness and love. And I think that those are directly both tied to human connection. We are social creatures. We are meant to be connected to each other, ideally in person. Look, Melissa, I wish that we could be like in Australia together right now. It is impossible with the global pandemic. But if we could, we'd be looking eye to eye, we'd be talking to each other. And that's a, that's a totally different conversation than connecting through the computer as, mu- as much fun as it is. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Nothing quite replaces in-person connection. Nothing. No matter Zoom calls, FaceTime, you know, what we're doing right now, nothing really can ever replace that in-person connection. And I often say this, my parents, I have been trying to get them on the health bandwagon for 10 years and they're not really interested. To be honest, they're not really interested. They kind of make a few little subtle changes. I I got them off commercial dairy, which was a huge step. And, you know, they make little, little changes here and there. But they are so happy and they have so many friends. And my husband says to me, look, your parents are going to be sweet because they have that connection. It's going to be what helps them thrive through their whole life. My parents are the type of people that have 50 best friends, you know, and last year at my mum's 60th birthday, she had 60 people at her birthday and it was a sit down dinner. And I went and spoke to every person. A lot of them were there in couples. And I went and spoke to almost every single person there. And almost every single person said to me, your mum and dad are my best friends. And I was like, 
Wow. Like they really do have that in spades. And I just want to reiterate how important human connection, relationships, that intimacy in physical, like in the flesh is for our health and happiness. 110%. And, you know, the the irony of the whole thing is that we increasingly are connecting through phones and computers and stuff like that. And look, like you and I, we're as guilty as anyone. I mean, between the two of us, we have almost 300,000 followers. But the reality is that social media is very antisocial. Yes. And I know that you would say this about your relationship with your husband, because I will say this, I... I love my followers. I am so grateful for my tribe. I wish that I could meet every single one of them in person, but I will take my core tribe, my family. I will take my wife and my children. And that is all I need. That is all I need to be happy. But at the end of the day, again, it's, you know, there's nothing more sad to me than when I see a family out at dinner at a restaurant and all four people both parents and two kids are sitting there on the on their phone and like looking at their phone like guys put the phone down and let's get back to the way that our grandparents did it let's like have a real dinner let's talk to each other yeah it's so important whenever we have dinner parties i confiscate the phones i'm like okay everyone put your phone away they're not on the table they are away out of sight and everyone's like oh amazing you know no one objects to it and you end up sitting there for three or four hours. And you're like, where did that time go? That is the best. When three hours flies by over a dinner party, the best. Yep. And throw throw a little wine in there and I'm a very (laughs) happy man. Uh, Okay. I've got one more of the rapid fire, which this didn't really turn out to be rapid fire, but that's okay. What is one thing, I feel like we've kind of touched on it, but what is one thing that we can do for more love in our life? Connection. Mic drop. I'm out. Yes, yes. I had to be I had to be rapid fire on that. Okay, fine. I'll I'll elaborate. I'll elaborate. I th- I think it's just I think I think it really I think it really boils down to recognizing that and this is uh, just unpacking what we've already said, which is true wealth comes is completely derived by human connection, social connection. We are meant to be social creatures and we get our happiness by feeling like we are a part of this community. And so let's make sure during this global pandemic, when we're all under stress, that we double down on on that, that we make sure that we're maintaining those connections with real people. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else that you want to share? Any last parting words of wisdom or anything that we didn't get to talk about that you wanted to mention. Honestly, I had so many more questions that I wanted to talk to you about, but I feel like we need five hours. So is there anything else that you want to share? I want I want Simon to create a health conference in Australia, like after the pandemic is over and I fly in and we all hang out and we could do a live podcast yes. recording and it would be so much fun. But Anyway, the one thing that I was going to share is that I, so I know you have a completely international audience. My wife is a fan of yours, but I also know that there's a lot of Aussies who follow you. And I just want to say that I love you guys. I think you guys are so great and you're so fun. I get along with you guys so well. I obviously, you and I get along. I get along obviously incredibly well with Simon. Like he's literally like my brother. And then I have a new friend named Dan Churchill. Yes, I know Dan very well. 
Oh my gosh. I, I'm obsessed with that guy. And I, I, I'm almost tempted to fly to New York just to see him because we've, because we've hit it off so well. So I just love y'all. I love, I love the people of Australia. You guys are wonderful. And I appreciate the support that you guys give me. And the other thing that I was going to say real quick is that, so I am extremely excited about my book. It's doing incredibly well. New York Times, USA Today, and Publishers wow. Weekly bestseller. By the end of the month, yeah, I will sell more than 50,000 copies before four months, which is pretty darn I've got crazy. goosebumps. And yeah, it's it's wonderful. And you know, the most important thing is that I'm getting these messages from people from literally around the world, you know, some that like barely can speak English that are telling me how I've changed their life. And that blows me away because as a doctor, that's a dream come true. And what's really exciting is that I have I I have always felt like the book was a great starting point, but it's not the complete point. And there's I've always wanted to have a complete conversation. Like I wish that I could sit down with my own patients and just talk for hours on end and teach them everything that I think that they need to know. And so for the last year, I've been working on building a course. And I'm super excited. I know I don't know exactly what day this podcast is going to launch, but September 7th, I am launching an online course that's going to be a seven-week course taught by me. I will be there live weekly doing question and answer sessions, videos, a workbook, a private community of like-minded people who are all working towards the same goal, which is healing your gut, reversing dysbiosis. And I actually, it's kind of cool. I've been working on this course for a year. We beta tested it twice and both times people had amazing results. So I'm just super excited about some of the stuff that's happening right now. And I enjoy sharing it with the people that follow me and are big fans from literally the other side of the world. That is the one beautiful thing. Oh yeah, it's amazing. And we'll link to your course in the show notes as well for anyone who wants to go and check that out. That sounds amazing. And we'll link to your Instagram and website, everything, your book. And I just want to thank you so much for not only all the work that you do in the world, the books, everything that you do, this course, everything, but for everything that you've shared today, you have given so graciously so much of your time. You have shared so much wisdom and knowledge. You can really feel how much you love what you do. And that is just so beautiful. And I'm a big believer in service and you are serving so many people in your clinic and then all over the world with your books and program. But how can we serve you? How can we give back to you today, myself and the listeners? Oh my gosh, this is, I've never, I've I'm like, first of all, I'm blushing. <laughs> Second of all, I don't even know what to say. You, you guys, when I say you guys, I mean like this entire community that is engaging with me both online and through the book and everything that's happening. I mean, I can't tell you guys how much it means to me when people reach out with messages about how they value this book or when you, or when people say something like what you just said, Melissa, or when people reach out to me and say to me, you know, you changed my life, you changed my health. I, you know, I, I lost a hundred pounds or this happened, you know, I reversed my arthritis or I reversed my eczema. I mean, it, it's a dream come true and it is unbelievable. And I just, you guys don't owe me anything. I am so, I'm the one who's grateful. Oh, well, I'll link to everything and I want to encourage everybody to go and get your book and read it and then share with Dr. B and I what you got out of it and what you get out of this episode. I absolutely love it. There's the book. 
Here we go, guys. I love the cover, by the way. It's beautiful. And come tag us both on Instagram. Tell us what you got from this episode. I would love to hear what you took away from this episode. But Dr. B, thank you so much for being here, for all of your wisdom, for sharing everything. You're a legend and I cannot wait to have a four-hour dinner with you and Simon one day. Mm, I love it. I'm so psyched up. I can't wait for that day to happen. I'm like, I'm, I'm so excited <laughs> for that day. So thank you, Melissa. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I love, love, loved that conversation and got so much out of it. I could have spoken with him for hours. He's such a wealth of knowledge and such a beautiful, kind human being. And I hope to get to meet him in person one day really soon. I hope you guys got a lot out of this episode. And if you did, please subscribe and leave me a review in iTunes or on your podcast app because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that you could potentially be the review of the week for next week, which is pretty awesome. Don't forget to come and follow me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and tell me your top key takeaways from this episode. I absolutely love reading every single one of them. So please come and share your takeaways with me. And for everything that Dr. B and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that's over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 337. And now before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so, so, so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself, and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.